Hello, my name is Dr. Rachel Gainsborough, and I am obsessed with all things short-term rentals, revenue streams, and helping you navigate your career, real estate, and your busiest and most wonderful seasons of life. I'm an immigrant, a pharmacist, a wife, and a mom who took one guest room rental and turned it into a multi-property, seven-figure real estate business, which has also landed us on TV. I'll teach you the real secrets and everything you need to build a short-term rental business that you love. I discuss the hard topics, mistakes I've made, and the mistakes others have made so you don't have to make them for yourself. Financing, automations, acquisitions, low occupancy, scaling, and building your team all while balancing your life are all subjects to be discussed here. Consider me that one best friend you can come to with your short-term rental business questions. So grab your coffee, get comfortable as you get ready to learn and grow with me. This is the Luxury Short-Term Rental Doctor Podcast. (laughs) Super, super duper excited. Excited today, guys. We have Dr. Chiagozi with us to talk about STR arbitrage. Yes, excited. Popular demand. Super, super excited about that. All right, so let's go ahead and dive right in. I know it's late. You've got the kiddos. I've got some that I got to put to bed in a bit myself. So, Dr. Chiagozi, tell us a little bit about yourself. So I am a pediatric anesthesiologist based in Syracuse, New York. I um, got started in real estate about maybe five, five, about five and a half years ago now. Um, with just, you know, buying property, rehabbing, you know, the whole birthing, buy, rehab, rent, refinance. But this whole time, arbitrage was kind of on the radar, but I was just really scared. And finally, last year and then again this year, I kind of took the leap, so... <laughs> Awesome. So tell us, what is arbitrage? Because we have some people here who are new for the people sitting in the back. What is arbitrage? So I think of it as just basic commerce, okay, where you buy low and sell high. It's the same thing that happens, you know, in a, in say like a, a convenience store where they go to Costco or somewhere and buy things in bulk at a lower price and then they can sell it you in tiny pieces at a higher price so basically what we do in in our business is we lease properties from landlords in bulk like for a year or two or three years and then we sell it if you may on the short-term rental market for a day two days three days and because we can sell them at you know and i'm saying sell but basically offer the place up as a short-term rental for um smaller units of time we're able to charge more also for for providing a furnished space to travelers in need of of a safe space for you know their their state so basically we end up profiting from the spread being that the short-term rental revenue is is usually higher than the long-term rental rent so definitely some things to take into consideration as you're entering and approaching a landlord looking at the property and trying to assess whether or not it's going to be a viable option you want to really understand what that monthly rent is going to be and mm-hmm. negotiate that. You want it to be fair market value, right? So that yeah. you can then turn around and fair market value or even less. If you can, if you can actually find a unit where you where you can negotiate a, an even lower rent, then it's even it's even better. That makes your risk profile even more favorable. That's awesome. And so that's that's really exciting to me because I love the way you explained it. 
Um, I haven't heard it explained that way in, in a lot of scenarios. So that that's really amazing. I like the uh, analogy of basic commerce, mm-hmm. you know? So yeah, you broke it down. Thank you. <laughs> so you said you had it on your radar. Uh, yeah. What was it that gave you the pivot shift from being a burr fix and flipper and transitioning into uh, SDR arbitrage? What, what was your catalyst? Yeah, so I heard about it, I think, back in 2016, but at the time we were in Rochester and the thought was, well, I don't know if it's going to work here. Like, this is not like a travel place. What if I get stuck with the lease? And at the time, I didn't think I even had enough of a bandwidth to um, tolerate risk if if that did happen. So I sat on it for a while, but then last year, after I got pulled from work during my pregnancy, it hit me. I had two things hit me. The, The first thing was that as a professional woman, as a professional in general, like doctors, high earners in, in whatever capacity they are, they, they, they are, professionals need something that cash flows, not as a luxury, but as a necessity. So while a lot of people talk a lot about generational wealth and which is great, right? Professional women, and I'll be very specific, need something that cash flows and cash flows today. Okay, because the way I got pulled from work, it was literally like OB visit in the afternoon and the, the other doctor walks in and says, we'll probably be in the OR on Wednesday. And I'm like, no, I'm on call on Thursday. And he's like, no, you're not. <laughs> so just like that, without any like crazy warning or anything, what would have been like my source of income if I were like a per diem or shift based type, you know, person or like a catch and kill type, you know, person basically who if you didn't do it like cases, then you weren't paid, for example, that would have been the end of my of my income for that period of time. Now, thankfully, in my case, I was salaried, you know, we had short-term disability, then long-term disability, then, and of, and of course, my husband works too. Plus, I had real estate as well. So I had all these cushions. But it really got me thinking that I had to find a model, also considering that I coach, I was like, I need to find something that people can actually do that helps them in a situation like this, you know, where if they had something on the side that actually gave them meaningful income. The key there is meaningful. They could be okay at a time like this. But then what actually then tipped me over was I realized the thing I had been afraid of was signing a lease. I was like, wait, hold up. You're okay taking on mortgages with your Burr strategy, right? And you're buying and refinancing. Each refinance is a a mortgage. It's a loan. Yes, you cash flow, but it's still a loan. (laughs) Okay. So I said, you're okay taking on additional debt and you're afraid of signing a lease. Like it hit me when it hit me. Then I was like, wait, duh. Like what's the worst that'll happen? You, you break the lease. And I'm not saying you go into arbitrage planning to break the lease. That's not what I'm saying. Cause it is a lease that you sign. It is a promise that you're making, right. but you can't do that with a mortgage. No. <laughs> Otherwise it's called foreclosure. absolutely absolutely so you break the lease and worst case scenario you have to pay an extra month and then it's terminated and whatever the stipulations were you know maybe it's two three four thousand dollars but you're pretty much free and clear but with a foreclosure talk about something sticking to you (laughs) that would stick right That, that would stick you're absolutely right. That that was what pushed me, but tipped me over. <laughs> so my takeaway from this was um, an extra stream of income is not a luxury, but a necessity, especially yeah. for working professional, busy professional women. Yeah, yeah. 
because you never know what's going to happen. Yeah. And I mean, men will argue that them too, but yeah, yeah, of course. But in, in my mind at the time, okay. Yeah, <laughs> was Alex is it. watching right now. Alex, you know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Absolutely. And you know what? A lot of us, believe it or not, in healthcare, we actually endured some furlough situations as well. In healthcare, who would have thought that in healthcare you would get furloughed? And it was bizarre. And I saw friends, you know, send goodbyes on email, you know, projects we were working on. This is my last day. It's like, what is happening right now? I am looking, I'm literally having goosebumps as I'm as I'm as I'm as I'm talking now because as of last year, we had furloughs. Okay. Mm-hmm. As, just before I came on this call, one of my colleagues, a nurse, is getting pulled because she hasn't taken the shot now she has her reasons we can argue about the legitimacy of um the whole vaccine mandate and all that in new york and whatnot but the fact is that for a decision that she has made she's not going to have a job in in a couple of days and i say to myself if you didn't think an extra stream of income (laughs) was a priority you better wake up (laughs) you better wake up in better wake up Oh my goodness. Better wake up. So tell me a little bit about your sourcing strategies. Uh, Who, who are you reaching out to? Is it landlords? Is it apartments? Tell me about it. So I usually tell, you know, people that are getting started to start out with individual landlords because it, because they're generally easier to get a yes from. Mm -hmm. Apartment complexes are usually more of like, they have something in stone and you can either, they either say yes or no, but for the sake of volume, I reach out to apartment companies. Like all our units right now are from apartment complexes and probably just a a factor of the market. The very first arbitrage unit that I found ever was up here in Syracuse and it was was from an individual landlord because we have more smaller landlords up here than you have like the big apartment complexes. So depending on really who you want to work with, um, I'll say for those who are just starting out, it's generally easier with the individual landlords, but depending on your market, you may have more apart, more larger apartments than smaller landlords. Excellent. And so when you say you're taking down multiple, what is the largest number of, of units you've taken down in one kind of around one transaction? Six. Six. Yeah. That's significant. Yeah. So that that's going to require some logistics, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's called hiring. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I basically, I, um, I found these designers. So actually I reached out to an apartment complex and they, and they were open to the idea of arbitrage and basically asked me, how many do you want? And that was the first time I had anybody ask me that. And I was like, wait, what? I get to pick. And I was like, can I get six? And they were like, yeah. I'm like, okay. So I take six. And now I had just been in conversation with some designers about my prior units that I had gotten. I was like, listen, guys, ignore those ones. Those ones I'm good right now. I'm getting six. That's what you'll be working on. And they basically came in and they they furnished the place top to bottom um, and did, actually did not show me the the units until they were completely done. And I was completely floored, completely wow. floored. Yeah. And, and that's phenomenal. That is phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. So six units. Are these one bedroom, two bedroom, three bedroom? What is your standard asset? So the first two I picked up, I wasn't sure which way I was going to go. So I took one two bedroom and I took one one bedroom. And then when we got six, I asked for six one bedrooms. And I think since then, the last two we've picked up have been uh, where one bedrooms. So 
basically I have nine one bedrooms and one two bedroom. <laughs> awesome. And so compared to the two bedroom one that you have, how are the one bedrooms performing? That's really how you get into the whole like customer avatar thing. Like you have a very um, different type of um, of guests for the one bedrooms. The one bedrooms, I think actually in this earlier, we were really going like hotcakes, honestly. They were getting snatched up by the um, work travelers. Yeah. So I had, you know, people like uh, a manager who her, her company, you know, booked, booked the space for, took one. I had a guy who was in town for like a month and a month and change. He, he, he wasn't one. I had a guy stay for like three months in one of the units, barely heard from him, also in town for work. The two bedroom tends to be picked up more by people like families, not even families like parents and kids, but more like family groups. So you see like, a, like, a, you know, maybe like three, four, five um, sisters or something, in a, you know, traveling to say Dallas for, for, for a few days. Those are kind of people that, that I see more in the, in the two bedroom um, properties. So did you say Dallas? Because I thought, Dallas. I know you're in Syracuse. So where, where are these properties located? This is interesting. They're, they're all in Dallas. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So why the Dallas market? <laughs> um, I looked at Syracuse and I felt there wasn't enough bringing people to Syracuse. I know you can do arbitrage, I mean, almost anywhere because there is like the, the travel, um, healthcare traffic. But I also saw that in Syracuse, the differential wasn't that much compared to like when you saw how much you actually rented for versus how much you could get on the short term market. It wasn't that big of a gap. So I tried to find somewhere that actually had it. And then it so happened that my sister moved down to Dallas and I was like, you know what? I'll take it. I'll take Dallas. <laughs> that basically did it for me. So you did your research and you saw that Dallas, there was more meat on the bone in Dallas. More meat on the bone. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. That's fantastic. So let me tell you this. I know you have a couple of things coming up soon and this is something, this is a space that you're passionate about. And I got to tell you, I am passionate about it also because this is a big pivot shift that we did during, you know, COVID and all of the things. And as we are looking to continue to expand our portfolio, uh, minimalistically, you know, elegantly expand our portfolio, we're not finding, you know, the big and the best deals that we would want, you know? And so wanting to have more meat on the bone, uh, you know, I had to look around. Uh, I'm, I was very, um, you know, arbitrage kind of naive and mm-hmm. not really thinking that that was a good play initially. But I got to tell you, we pivot shifted into arbitrage and it's something that I was telling some of my clients, you know, I don't want you to try it. Let me try it first. But now I'm like, yes. <laughs> Yes, 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 because it's a it's a really um, powerful cash flow move. Yeah, powerful cash flow move. Period. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a great move if you've ever said to yourself, "I don't have my next down payment yet, but I want to stay in motion." Yeah, Um, because when you think about buying a a place, a short term rental, right? Mm -hmm. For what you actually invest, you want it to cash flow very well. Okay, but when you buy after you so you, to to buy, you have to put down your you know your down payment, your closing costs, mm-hmm. and now if anything happens to that property, it's it's also on you, which is fine if your goal is like long term investing, that's fine, 
Um, but then you have to furnish. You take all of that plus all the time it takes to actually close by like 60, 90 days, you finally gotten that first one up and running. Mm -hmm. For us, by by the 90 day mark, we had 10 up and running. Up and running. <laughs> so for me, that was it was by the time we signed that 10th lease, I was like, listen, I need to tell, I need to tell people about this thing. Like, because arbitrage is not new. It's just that in our circles, for some reason, like people weren't really talking about it. like everybody was so focused on the buying because of the, you know, the tax benefits and all those things. But I'm like, you need to at least know of the model so that you have it in your back pocket. You can choose not to arbitrage. That's okay. Maybe it's not even okay, but you can, you can choose what you want to choose. Right? right. But if you didn't know about it, then well, now you do. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I know you're a really big educator in the space and it is so appreciated the information and the value that you're putting out there because what it does is I, I really love the way you stated it when you said generational wealth, that's a beautiful thing, you know, all of the things there, but what about right now? You know, <laughs> I'm trying to, you know, not go into a critical situation when I'm furloughed. What about right now? And right, so yeah. That's absolutely huge. So why arbitrage? I know we talked a little bit about some of the benefits. Could you tell us a little bit more? Why arbitrage? And I want to jump into some of the tools that you use to promote hosts. Mm, yeah. So yeah, I think my primary reason for, for, for arbitrage is just it's a faster path to cash flow in my in my books. Like one kind of initial hump to overcome is finding that landlord that says yes. The first time I did it in October, I think I found a landlord within two weeks of, you know, searching online. But this time around, it took a little longer to four weeks. Okay. <laughs> so by the fourth week, after like actually like hunting, I then had four, four units that I could take on. Now I was a little, you know, like, eh, let's not, let's not bite off too much. And so I took just, just two, but it's unlike you know, actually buying where you have to like wait for closing and all this one, once you get the willing landlord, you literally could be in a place you really can be there in by the next few days, except Amazon I'm shipping time will probably be why you want to push it out for like two weeks. And two weeks, you get the place, you get all your items in another maybe few days, depending on your setup speed, you can be up and running in say, say you know, three weeks. So wow. that's one. The second thing is depending on where or what kind of property you're arbitraging, you may even skip the whole maintenance piece. Right, like if you're working with an, with an individual landlord, your selling point may be I'll handle maintenance. But if you're working with a huge apartment complex, they will be the maintenance. Like if anything happens in the in the unit, you call you call building maintenance, and now even that is taken off your plate. So from a long-term rental perspective, you do have a lot of responsibility, you know, as well. So um, a question I get asked a lot is about getting that first landlord to say yes. How, what are, what are some strategies? Do you have a pointer or two you can share with those who are watching to get the landlord to say yes? First of all, it's knowing, knowing who you're dealing with and knowing it's okay. So this is marketing at its finest. Okay. <laughs> everyone, I have a question that says, um, everyone is tuning to the channel. What's in it for me? W-I-I-F-M. Okay. So if you're talking to someone, they're asking, okay, how do I actually benefit from this proposition? So you as the arbitrage um, wannabe, should I say, and not in a derogatory sense, but who actually wants to arbitrage, 
need to know what you're bringing to the landlord. Number one, you're bringing a, a stable tenant. You're bringing someone, you are someone that will be generating income from their property, which means that your rent is sort of guaranteed because you, I mean, for you to stay in business, you kind of have to pay them, right? <laughs> so the, like your interests are very much aligned. For you to stay in business, their property has to be well-kept. Otherwise you get bad reviews and you wouldn't have business. So your again, your interests are aligned. They'll ask you things about like, okay, so what if the tenant falls or the guest falls? Like who's responsible? Well, you tell them, you know, you carry insurance, just like, you know, someone that's doing business. Um, yeah, so it's, as long as you understand the value that you bring as the arbitrage investor, um, then it gets easier to answer, to kind of pitch to landlords from a place of, I am like, I am the price. Okay. You actually want me. Let me show you how. I love that approach because the, the spirit of the question is a little bit more. And when I hear it and it, it, it's a little bit saddening because it's coming from more of a begging, begging, of, how do I get them to, and, and you're right. You as the arbitrager, as the operator is going to be the absolute best tenant ever because you need to stay in business yeah. and they need to, their properties to be well kept and, and so on and so forth. So what is the amount of rent you pay for the one bedroom versus the two bedroom? Um, okay, so they're in different buildings, so they're very different, but to actually give you actual numbers, um, the one bedrooms that we have, I would say average 1200, a little above 1200. The two bedroom is about 1695. Next question, Annabelle. Usually in apartment buildings, what they have is a property manager. Is that who you ask? Yeah, and, and, and that's the thing. So depending on who the property manager is, you, you may have to, like I said, it's easier when you can actually talk with the owner of the property. When you talk with the managers, they it adds a whole layer of- Bureaucracy. Know, exactly. Red tape. Yeah. Yeah. So if, I mean, if that person doesn't like you, they could just say no, whatever, but like, because they, for them, they're, they're thinking, how would this person be a headache in my life? Okay. They don't necessarily have it on their necks to keep the place occupied. So, I mean, when you can, you want to try to get to the owner, but if an apartment complex and it's, and it's the, and it's the manager, basically just ask them and if they say no, well, you're basically moving on, honestly. <laughs> So it's not even worth it to explore. And, and you're absolutely right because um, it, especially the bigger ones, they may have yep. their rules requirements and yep. that's it. They just follow it. Is And I haven't really, I've heard of occupancy and looking at that. I haven't seen that make too much of an impact in terms of making a dent on it. So if they have all these empty units, you know, is there a metric that the property manager has to meet in order to get them filled up? Are they motivated that way? I don't know. Now, so, I mean, some just just from my experience with owning rentals myself and having other like having reached out to, to like property managers for, for multifamily um, complexes, some of them are incentivized after they hit a certain a certain occupancy level. You really wouldn't know that. <laughs> But um, we we do have one building that I always that always makes me laugh when I think of it. That on their public um like their apartment hakam listing, they say like we don't do corporate leases or whatever. Like basically saying all you Airbnb folks don't come, right? But mm -hmm. then we actually went 
there and spoke with them and turned out that they did but guess what they had an empty building so when it re when when <laughs> when it really bites them even the ones that say no may still be a yes after yeah that is that is so interesting i will tell you something that um we encountered that's really interesting in the city of atlanta uh, there's a building that they don't do corporate leases or Airbnb unless you're willing to pay a fee. Mm. And turns out that fee is about 30% of your gross. Mm. And so they take their cut off of the top. And once they, they do that, then you can, um, you know, yeah. you can try to cash flow. And that's 30% is a lot. That, that's um, huge. That's huge. I think that's huge. That's huge. Now, I mean, if, if before I would say yes to something like that, there better be nothing else that I can find on my own. I mean, you may, I'll say just, you know, if you're patient enough, um, you may find something better. But, 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 but I think what that actually says is that they're catching on. Like apartment complex are catching on and they know that I'm making money. But Personally, whenever I see those extra things, like 30%, 10%, I'm like, I don't want to work for you <laughs> because because I'm still going to have to manage. It's not like they'll manage for me. Like for 30%, you can you can answer my listings. You can do, like, if you, if you would do all of that, then sure, have at it. But if they won't do that and then still come back and ask me for rent, you know. Yeah, I would have to, you know, my first, honestly, my first reaction was absolutely not, yeah. but I would have to look at it with like two sets of glasses on because ultimately I hear you when you say, you know, the property manager is thinking to themselves, well, how, how is it that you're going to be a headache to me? Mm -hmm. And that's headache money, right? 30% is headache <laughs> money. It's okay. Just to cover themselves in case, you know. Mm -hmm all of the things occur and they want to make sure that they're drawing some kind of benefit out of it. You know, I mean, if the numbers, if after 30%, the numbers still make sense, then it must be a really hard place in which case. Sure. Exactly. And that's why I say I would have to look at it with yeah. two, two sets of glasses, but I haven't um, seen any scenario where that makes sense. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. I'm coming in under at this point. Yeah. <laughs> because be, because one thing you must keep in mind is that, the arbitrage investor has to make more than the than the buying investor because the buying investor is paying just a mortgage mm -hmm. the arbitrage investor is paying the landlord's mortgage plus the landlord's free money mm -hmm. so you really have to be up here so when you now take 30 percent, you've basically cut into what that profit would have been for the most part right and now you're left with crumbs so yeah yeah and so you extrapolate that over time also the time equity you put that into it also. So even if you're making an extra three, four hundred dollars a month, think about that. You can do that long-term renting without yeah, right. <laughs> at that point, it's like no. Yeah. So yeah. So uh that that would be a redo. So what are your favorite tools that you use um to help you in terms of your remote hosting? Number one will be my ring doorbell. You know, nice, nice little piece of technology right there, but I can tell you how many questions the ring doorbell helps you answer. Just this afternoon, we had a last minute booking and my cleaners, my housekeepers, they saw it was a, they hadn't seen a booking there. So they kind of pushed that unit as the last one to clean. Then we got a booking. So I basically went on the doorbell and, and, and I could see if they had gotten in or not. 
I saw the lady walk in. So I basically told the, told the guest, hey, they're in there cleaning. They'll be done in like hour, hour and a half. And then he waited and stayed. So that's the biggest thing. Um, and then electronic walks. Yeah, yeah. And I love that you're keeping it streamlined because there's so much out there, right? There's so many technology pieces. And you and I, we had a conversation about um, coaching programs. We're big into getting ourselves educated. Mm-hmm. And you said they sell some some technology, they just sell on complexity, right? <laughs> keep it simple. You know, you just gave us two things, ring doorbell and remote lock. Yeah. Have at it. <laughs> have a whole business right there. Everything else is, you know, extra fluff and nice. there's a lot of great things out there. They're yeah. nice to have, but, but definitely these are, these are the basics. So I love that. What about your team? What does your team look like? Um, so right now I hired an assistant after the first two, cause my sister was traveling around and I didn't want to burden her with, um, with, you know, my, my needs. So, but I also knew I wanted to scale. So I, could, I just hired someone that will help with all the running around that had to happen on ground. So I have her and then, I, and then we have our housekeepers. Um, that's basically it. We've um, talked about getting a handyman. We don't have one to say like on the team, but when we've needed one, we've you know, looked around and hired for the job. So you look on apps like, you know, Handy Thumbtack. or Thumbtack. Yeah. Thumbtack, yeah. Thumbtack is just such a great resource. We use Thumbtack. You can find almost any um, skilled worker on Thumbtack. So it's definitely a, a resource we use as well. Okay. So that's awesome. So your your assistant is your boots on the ground, essentially a yeah. local person. Yeah. Yeah. So like she, she helps like, because initially I wasn't, you know, it, it, it was really kind of unclear what the quality of the of the cleaners you know was like so I, I basically had her as like my go behind <laughs> just they clean go check see if it's okay and sometimes she caught things sometimes you know it was it was it'll be fine it, it was fine um but I think right now we've gotten a good a good crop of of cleaners so awesome. I mean st- still have her with me though Awesome. Yeah, I, I put a fancy label to that. I call it my white glove inspectors. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I Go behind. I love yep. it. Okay, we have a question from Jane Harris. Hi, Jane. Uh, let's see. On average, how much can one expect to spend to fully furnish a one-one unit? Um, the last ones we furnished came to somewhere around seventy-five hundred. Sorry, not not the last ones, the ones before the last ones. Um, I usually mention that my sister was able to furnish us for forty five hundred, and after she did that, <laughs> I was like, "Girl, you are furnishing my units. How about that?" But yeah, I think on average, seventy five hundred to to ten to ten thousand, depending on the size of the unit and how many beds, how many people you want to sleep in it. Question from Arjuman. Hi, Arjuman. Do you get different insurance for di- for the rentals? Do you get different insurance for the rentals? Yeah. Yeah, we use proper. Proper insurance. Proper argument. insurance, yeah. Annabelle has a question. What's the name you mentioned? What's the name that they mentioned? Ring doorbell and what else? Ring and doorbell and what else? Electronic locks. An electronic lock. So uh, there are several of them, Annabelle. There are uh, there's Schlage, that's S C H L A G E. There's Quickset. Yeah. 
there there are several um electronic use, um august august is a really yeah. good one yeah august basically for remote management anything that that connects to wi-fi not just bluetooth <laughs> that was the first lesson that i learned that bluetooth is not enough because you have to actually be there to change the code but if you have a wi-fi or a bridge connection to the lock then you can change things from anywhere and that's going to be really important if you're looking into managing remotely so for example <laughs> you know every time that the code needs to get locked you can do it from whatever location you're in yeah so that's that's excellent. Yeah. So can we talk a little bit about regulations? Are there regulations in your area that you would be concerned about? Oh yeah, before you look at, before you do anything, <laughs> really with any short-term rentals, that's the first thing you want to check out. Um, I know they had conversations in Dallas recently, but I know the last time that I looked, I was fine. <laughs> so, so I carried on. Um, but really anywhere before you do any, and I think it's, they're always in flux. So that's, that's another pro for arbitrage because <laughs> can't imagine after spending, you know, 60,000, you know, $600,000 to, to now hear that things have changed. But um, yeah, always check the, always check the ordinances. Yeah. And that's something I was on a call a little bit earlier today. And, and the premise was, and thank you, Jesse, for holding that space in that room. Um, is it too late to Airbnb, is it too late to get in, you know? And that was the question because some people are asking, is it saturated, is it too late, you know? And honestly, I, I read an article where the hotel industry by the end of 2021 will be down, I wanna say 120 billion, right? And people don't wanna be in a hotel, no offense hotel. They wanna be in a short-term rental. They want a full kitchen. They wanna be a little bit separated. They don't necessarily wanna share an elevator with a whole bunch of people. They want to be, you know, in a more private space. And so with that being said, uh, the hotel, you know, the hotel occupancy taxes, all that money that the hotel would bring in from business travelers or other types of travelers, that's going to take a dip. Yeah. And the municipalities are going to be hurting and the cities are going to be hurting. But if you look at your Airbnb uh, line items, and when you see that occupancy tax and this tax and that tax, that city is getting paid, okay? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it would behoove all of them to- Ultimately create, open it up. Yeah, yeah. open it up and create yeah. fair, fair regulations around it, right? Yeah. You know, unfair. I don't mind regulations. I'm all about regulations, but it needs to be fair regulations, you know, not just blanket bans. That right. would be silly, right? Because yeah. we're, you know, you need the funding. So I don't think short-term rentals are going anywhere anytime soon. It's all about positioning yourself to get in the game, whether your budget is to buy or your budget is to arbitrage, arbitrage or your yeah. budget is to, my third way of hosting is, is partnering with someone and, and learning the skills and, you know, being an assistant and co-hosting until you can get it under your belt to, you know, kind of strategically move around. And that, and that is my next play. <laughs> I think I have learned now. <laughs> yeah. And so that's definitely a great play because here's what, what's great about that play. It's you essentially, you don't have too much skin in the game, if any at all. Right? <laughs> yeah, Vali has another question. Mm -hmm. Oh, this is a good one. Yes, Vali. Do you have neighbor complaints from the short-term rental, uh, from the long-term residents in the building? So... I actually have the opposite problem <laughs> because 
I I have had guest complaints from the from the long term residents in the building. Um, oh, <laughs> oh my god! I had thankfully that guest was actually very understanding. She was like, "Yeah, I know you don't pick your neighbors." I was like, "Thank God, thank God, you understand that I don't pick my neighbors." Um, but I like so far we've had one incident where um, the neighbor came up to our unit because our guests were being loud. And at that time, I hadn't installed my noise monitor. But after that incident, I knew I had to step on it and you know, basically get my act together. Um, I, but I we woke up in the morning and my husband was like, yeah, check, check the ring doorbell. I think that the neighbor complained. So I basically told the guests like, you, you cannot be noisy middle of the night enough to get a neighbor all the way up um, but thankfully really not much came of that it's a matter of you know screening your guests and trying to limit the potential for parties parties are the big thing parties or loud guests and i think having a like an either noise aware or minute or um, yeah. minute minute uh, monitor something that helps with like noise monitoring will alert you before it becomes a problem for your neighbors Absolutely. And something that we add as far as being redundant is in our rules. Oh my goodness. Even oh, yeah. before you book, we talk about noise and neighbors maybe five times because <laughs> I read somewhere that people need to see it five times to get, get it. <laughs> so we harped on it. We harped on it. We harped on it. Not to the I, I want to say not to the point where it's like, don't even come, mm-hmm. but it, it makes it very clear. If you are even thinking of a party, don't. this will be like the worst place for you to try, even try to have a party. Like you're, you're just wasting money at this point because the fines are steep. Mm-hmm. There's so like, there's monitoring. There's like, this would ruin your party. This would be a great way to ruin your life and your party, you know? So don't even think about it. But if you're coming here to relax, you'll look over those rooms and go, whatever, that's not me, right? You're not even worried about it. But if you're coming for a party, you're going to feel really like, oh no, she's too much, you know? Mm -hmm. So putting in rules can really deter and help to kind of eliminate guests, right? Do you have a minimum stay for the weekends? I don't, um, like, no, I don't for our properties. We used to, we used to have like a four night minimum for over the weekends, no check-ins on, uh, Friday or no (laughs) check-ins on Saturday, something like that. But we've been, we've been pretty okay. Honestly, honestly, it's not, you know, there was a young lady who was from the country and she asked, do you guys have any lounges around here? I'm like, no. I, I had never heard that terminology really uh, in modern, uh, in the modern days. I was like, no, there's no lounges here. Like literally it's one of those places where it's just, it's dead. dead. You know? it's, not the city. it's not the big city. So do not, if you're coming to hike, come on. Let's go hiking. That's as rowdy as you're getting is to go for a hike. <laughs> So we've tweaked it a bit because we we've we've had really really good guests and it was weird because one of our guests did complain about the neighbor that was up arguing with his girlfriend till four in the morning. It's like seriously, <laughs> it is what it is. 
do you keep a storage space for inventory yeah um yeah we have bins our our units that didn't at least the first few they didn't come with like a an actual space for like a storage closet so we just got bins i think she also had a question before that one she was asking if um if you've ever had problems with the owner entering after his lease with complaints. <laughs> um, no. <laughs> well, well, so far, all of our units have been apartment complexes, so they haven't entered without our permission. Like, the only times they've ever come are, you know, when we've actually had, like, maintenance maintenance issues. So. Okay. Yeah, that's that's a great question. And if there are maintenance issues, they would, you know, at least alert us ahead of time, right? Yeah. Are you pet friendly? Are your units pet friendly? Um, initially, I said no, but then I was going to in one of them, and then I remember that the building actually said no. So right now, it's all no. <laughs> Gotcha. If the building said no. And so if you do um, find a building, you decide to go into it. I've got a whole bunch of pet rules that I'm mm. happy to share with you. Yeah, you, please. They need to get topical treated three days prior to their stay. I mean, it gets, yeah. Nice. Okay. Flea infestation is real. Okay. Oh, wow. Yeah. I just got itchy just hearing that. <laughs> real yes so our rules they're not there for nothing <laughs> they're not there for nothing well anything else dr chigozi before we let you go and get to your beautiful babies no i'll just say you know what if you've sat through this if you're if you're on this group if you've listened to this session don't waste it take action do something with the information that you're getting um literally people that started last october are cashing in right now so don't don't waste this hour that you just spent listening yeah absolutely because next october you're going to be looking back saying um <laughs> what did you do with it you know what did you do with the information awesome thank you thank you you awesome. have a it's my pleasure evening. i so appreciate you sharing with us taking time out of your day to be with us tonight dr chiagozi you have a good night you too